Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It is your source of information about all things related to wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, and my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology. All listeners to the podcast are well aware of the fact that each week, or almost every week, sometimes I go solo, but almost every week we have a really informative guest who leads his or her own life enthusiastically and has a particular way of informing us how to create more enthusiasm, better health and wellness in our own lives. And today is no exception. We have a very special guest with some new and different ideas that will be helpful to all of us. With almost 20 years of experience in the science and education industries, Sheila Sutherland combines her knowledge, quirky sense of humor, and curiosity in human behavior to find ways to master this thing that we call life. As a certified social and emotional intelligence coach, Sheila guides her clients through the cultivation of the necessary skills to manage their behavior, their responses, and relationships with others, so as to increase their level of success, both personally and professionally. Through Sheila's coaching programs, workshops, and her podcasts, her clients and listeners benefit from her vast wisdom and passion to find tangible ways to live their lives with the utmost of happiness. So you can understand why we wanted Sheila to be a guest on our podcast. Her ideas mesh so closely with ours. And so Sheila, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Ron. It is a it's a huge honor actually to be here for myself. I've been looking forward to this all week, and I'm excited uh, to talk with you today. Well, we're especially excited too, ready to learn from you. But uh, let me start out by just kind of throwing at you the general question. There are are a lot of us that kind of work in this wellness space. Pretty much all of us have our own individual approach to it and different things to contribute. Can you tell us a little bit about what your approach is, what you do, and what kind of people you work with? Oh, my goodness. There's a lot in there. What I do. Well, I think that the to put it in the simplest terms is what I do is getting people to connect back to who they truly are at their, you know, at their core, at their deepest essence. You know, because as we go through life, you know, a lot of us feel like we we get a lot of these expectations and judgments and things that just kind of weigh upon us. And we do things to please other people. And sometimes we end up down a path that wasn't exactly where we had thought, you know, we were going and we kind of lose ourselves along the way. 
So I'm all about trying to get us back to reconnect with what makes us happy, what brings us joy, really expanding the years that we have, you know, because I didn't come to all of this idea till I started entering midlife myself. And I decided, you know what, I want to have the second half of my life to be a lot more happy uh, than what I've already been doing. And I had to change a few things to try to do that because I plan on living till I'm 100. And I want to make those years as exuberant and as full as I possibly can. And I want to be able to share that with others as well. Great. That's terrific. Nowadays, uh, I mean, your expectations may be a a little lower. A lot of people live beyond 100. uh, Yeah, Yeah, true. You know, so I, I hope you're building in enough reserve to, to get past that. But I'm wondering, I mean, that your answer kind of raises the question in, in my mind. I'm always a little bit interested in people's personal journeys to get to where they are. So without being overly intrusive, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be the current version of Sheila Sutherland? Oh my goodness. It was a, it was an interesting path, you know, cause it, and I've been on say this particular journey for just over, I believe 10 years now. And I mean, I was always one that was in the beginning, I, mean, I was always a part of science. I'm, I'm a science based, have my you know degree in biology and education. I was always teaching people something, but I found myself getting more angry, say more cynical, more frustrated. I felt like the person that I I was to the outside world was completely different than the than who I actually was on my inside world. You know, I'd get home from my day at work, I'd close the door and it felt like I was taking off this mask. You know, cuz all day I was, you know, the putting on the happy face and everything was going great and everything was perfect and I would come home and it would be the complete opposite. And I felt that this, there was this huge divide and almost like a battle between these two people kind of thing. And I wanted to find a way to be able to mesh them together. I wanted my inside world to reflect who I was always putting out to the outside world. And I had to figure out how to do that, you know, because I've, I've always been one who I will never ask anyone, whether it would be my students when I was in the classroom or my clients now that I'm coaching, I will never ask them to do something that I haven't already gone through, you know, done myself. That's just kind of who I am. You know, I don't want to just kind of teach from theory. I want to teach from experience. And when you look at the type of experiences I've gone through, I mean, like so, like half the population, I've gone through a divorce. I have dealt with my own different bouts of depression and anxiety. I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, just uh, about eight, nine years ago and trying to navigate my way through that. You know, I'm living with a chronic illness. And what does that mean? Because, you know, when we're talking about living healthy and here I am, I'm living with a chronic illness, it almost doesn't seem like it connects, but it's because of the way I ignored a lot of things in the first half of my life that I believe that I ended up where I am in regards to this chronic illness. And now I'm trying to reverse all of that. And unfortunately, it takes a little bit of time. I wish I could snap my fingers and make it all happen overnight. But like any change, it takes consistency. It takes work. There is some effort. I wish I could say it was easy and simple, but it it does take uh, the commitment to where you want to be when you were talking about goals. 
you know, it, it's really truly understanding what kind of goals and where do you want in your life and deciding and making that choice of how we're going to get there. That's, that is so interesting. And it made me think of something that, that I see with a lot of people, I think, are in the same boat that you were in, that if one looks at the structure of their lives, they're objectively pretty successful. They're, they're functioning, they've got a job and stuff like that. It's fairly easy to see where somebody who gets fired or hits rock bottom in terms of an addiction or something like that may get a reawakening and want to do some things differently. But I'm wondering for the average person who is going to work, not particularly happy with what they're doing, not really doing great in their relationships, whether it be marriage, not marriage, whatever it may be, that again, nobody is going to do their job for them of saying, hey, it's time for a reset. How does somebody know that, uh, you know, hey, this, this isn't the way it has to be? Well, I would hope that they would find out in a different way than I did. Because, uh, you know, I, was, I will say off the top, I'm a very stubborn person. That's just who I am. And no matter what a person's beliefs are, I think we get messages. Uh, you know, whether you want to say, think it's from God through the universe, through whatever, like whatever belief system a person may have. But I think that we have to listen to those outside messages when we get them. And I was not good at that. You know, I kept having these kind of things would happen. And to, you know, now I can look at them and go, oh, they were telling me to slow down. I had to take a bit, a closer look at what the things I was bringing into my life and how, and how I was showing up in life. But I kind of just kept soldiering on going, no, no, I don't, you know, I'll deal with that later. And it's kind of like sweeping them under the rug because I didn't want to look at them. And I think that if we look at, you know, if we have this series of events that is happening in our life that kind of over and over, like you see these patterns, you know, you're talking about relationships. If, if you're seeing the same pattern happening over and over and over in your relationships and you're wondering like, why can't I find that person? That might be a sign that there, there's something that you're missing in there, that there's something you need to take a, a closer look at. Maybe if you're, you know, you're doing a job and it doesn't matter what job you're at, you're just, you're never happy. You're never satisfied. You're, you always hate your boss. You always hate the people that you're working with. Again, when we see a pattern like that, it, that's our wake up. But I think a lot of the times we have to learn the, we have to open our eyes to the awareness of that. And I think that that's usually where I start is in, when you look at from the emotional intelligence side of it, one of the first competencies we look at is self-awareness. And I think a lot of times, and it's just, I think the nature of our society and everything, the way it is, we kind of wander around kind of numb to everything, right? We get in this rut and we just kind of this habit uh, that I meant, I heard you mention earlier, you know, we get into this habit of just how we do things day after day and we don't veer from those. And then we kind of have these blinders that we don't see what's going on in the world around us. But I also believe you have to be ready. You know, it took, I wasn't ready for many years to make a change or to, to choose to see anything around me. And it took going through a traumatic experience. And like I say, I wouldn't want to wish any traumatic experience on anyone, but that's what it took for me to finally stop and start reevaluating what was going on in my life. 
Was it hard? I mean, it sounds like, you know, it, it was a not a U-turn, but at least a pretty sharp uh, side turn. Yes. You know, was it really difficult for you to do that? Well, I'd almost say it kind of was almost like a, a 180. It was, you know, I was definitely going down one path that wasn't a happy one. And I, I you know, used to shake my head and go, really, this is what life is all about. I signed up for this. You know, I, I don't think so. And so when I, was it hard? I think the hardest part was just the the not knowing. You know, I'm the kind of person that I, I'm a, a planner and an organizer, and I love to have everything laid out in front of me before I start anything. And when you're talking about this type of personal change, you, you can't do that. You have to almost take a, a step out just in faith that the stair is going to be there. So that part for me was scary, just the, the not knowing. But I also didn't know which way to turn. I, at that point in time, I had no idea that this whole idea of personal development even existed. You know, I had never gone and sought out any type of help from anybody. You know, because again, I was brought up that if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. You don't ask for people for help. So I had, you know, never gone to, you know, talk to any professional, like except being a you know, psychologist or a psychiatrist, you know, it's like I never, I never sought that kind of help. I never sought any counselors, I never sought any coaches, like I never sought help from anybody. And I think I didn't even realize that that's what people that's what people were there for until, like I say, until I was ready. And I finally had to get to the point of going, I can't do this by myself. Because I I just don't have that knowledge that I need and I'm seeking something. And I started reaching out to find the people that I resonated with. And for me, that was a big thing. Like you can learn from anybody, but I had to find the people that I really connected with and started asking for help. And that started me down this journey of being able to really open up and become more self-aware of my behaviors and why I reacted the way I do and why I do the things that I do. And I think that awareness is what really helped me start making those changes. But like you said, in regards to being hard, turning the mirror on yourself is hard because that means I now have to take responsibility for all of this. Mm -hmm. I can't blame anybody else. It's so much easier to blame. But for me to go, oh, me that has to change. I'm the one that's responsible. That's the hard part, but I I can tell you out there I am all the better for it now, and I'm still learning. It's never it's never a, a, like a one and done. It never ends. I think as humans and as we go through this journey, we're always learning different levels and layers of us, and it's just really having that awareness of why and how we do the things we do. Yeah, it sounds like as human beings, we're really always works in progress. Some, I believe are, so. some may be further along than others, but we're all works in progress, which brings me to the question of, uh, I mentioned that that there are lots of us who work in this wellness space. What if somebody uh, works with you, what is your particular approach uh, in terms of, you know, why would somebody, you said you had to find the right person? Why would you be the right person for some people? What is there that, you know, you teach or train that, that might be different from some other people? Well, you know, I think we could take the same type of information and give it to five different people so they all train the same thing, but you're going to feel a very different experience 
with each of those. I think it's very important to, like you say, when you're talking about someone who resonates with you, with me, I mean, I haven't probably haven't see, shown too much about here, but I have a little bit of a sense of humor, right? So I like to bring a little bit of levity to a lot because this is deep stuff that we're talking about here and it can it can get a little heavy. So you'll find that if you you like someone who does have a little bit of a quirky sense of humor, that's me. I come from also a quite a varied background, right? And it's, I look at it that when you have someone who comes from, you know, from, you can talk from a science aspect, who can talk from maybe a little bit more of a spiritual aspect, who can talk from really from experience. And for some, some people value that, some others don't. But if you wanted to talk to somebody who has kind of been there, done that, like I, I get it. There's not a whole lot of things that have gone on in life that I would be surprised of anymore because I think I've lived through way more than the average person. So I have a level of compassion and empathy that was developed through going through those experiences, you know, it's not just book knowledge that I, I bring to the table. It's actual boots on the ground kind of experience that I will tell you like it is. I am, you know, as much as I like to have a lot of lev levity in humor, I'm also a straight shooter. I'm not going to sugarcoat things, you know, and I'm not one to say, you must do this. You know, I'm definitely, I want people to find their own path, but I'm their soft place to land. I'm their non-judgmental place to come to talk through things, you know, because I think that was something that I was searching for and I really didn't have a place to find that, you know, in my certain, in my family and, and friend group, you know, they don't get me wrong. They love me. They were always trying to, you know, want the best for me, but there was always a lot of judgment and expectation in a lot of it. And I needed to find somebody who was unbiased in a way where I could just go and talk and they could talk me through things, you know, and that's what I want to be for other people is that that place where we can goal set and work through problems together and uh, set the plan of how we can make things better. Well, one of the impressive things about you is uh, you had quite a few experiences that people can use as an excuse, whether it be a chronic illness or whatever trauma it was that you went through, uh, you know, aside from just the general dissatisfaction that uh, people might have in their job or being misplaced in a situation or making a wrong choice. But if somebody is unhappy but feels they can't change because they're too young, too old, too sick, too emotional, whatever it may be, how did you surmount or how do you help others to get past the fact that they may have a legitimate excuse, but it doesn't get them to the next step? Oh, I definitely went through a lot of time of doing kind of like the woe is me. And, you know, and I had a lot of people tell me, well, if anyone has a reason to, you know, be angry and frustrated and feel victimized, you know, it was me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I agree with that. But I didn't like how that felt. You know, I just, I, I, you know, and I was talking about when I was really sitting and evaluating my life, I didn't like how 
you know, when I was complaining or getting kind of uh, embroiled in whatever the situation or the trauma was, I just didn't like how it felt inside. I didn't like what it was actually doing to my body. You know, when we're talking about wanting to live life with vitality until our many, many years into the future, I kind of went, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that feeling the way I feel right now. And one of the first things that I came across, it was some research done by a, a Japanese researcher, and I, it's uh, it was Dr. Yamoto. He was actually talking about how, or, and he showed in some of his research how what we say to ourselves and the emotions that we feel, how it actually affects the water in our cells. You know, because anyone who's gone through school has learned through biology, you know, that we're like 70% water, you know, and that water in his research shows that it actually had a memory. It would actually hold a lot of our experiences and our traumas. And he was showing how when you have what's perceived as a negative emotion or you speak to yourself in a negative way, like we're talking about that negative self-talk, when you take the water and you crystallize it, the, the crystalline structure of when you're talking angry or talking poorly about yourself or having negative emotions is very scattered and misshapen. And it actually looks angry. Like you look at some of the pictures of the crystalline water and it looks like the emotion. But if you were talking you know, positively or optimistic or with compassion to yourself or you know, in your, you have more of that optimistic mindset, they looked at the water in regards to that, and it was very symmetrical, very, it was almost like a, a beautiful snowflake type crystalline structure. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at that and going, okay, well, I wonder how that, you know, really affects us internally. And I started looking, okay, well, when I'm upset, when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, I get a headache, I get a stomach ache, I feel achy, I get really tight in my, my chest and my shoulders. But when I start thinking more optimistic, when I'm doing more problem solving, when I have more hope and talk to myself with more compassion, I don't have that. So I start, my own kind of theory is when if I talk poorly, like I have a lot of self, negative self-talk or if I'm gossiping or talking poorly about someone else, I'm actually affecting my own internal structure. And I, I did, I haven't done many videos, but I did this one video. I did, I tried to recreate Dr. Emoto's uh, experiment. So it was called the rice experiment. So if anyone can Google Dr. Emoto and hit rice experiment, and you can see some of the pictures, but, but I did my own version and I wanted to see what that looked like. Cause I wanted to try to prove to myself that what I thought could actually change water and I don't know if you you know anything about his experiments or not. Not really. But okay, so I'll try. I'll try to give you the. Clip and what is version. the name of it? You said the rice experiment. It's what? a rice experiment. Yeah. So it's it, you take some rice and you put you put it in some water, and then you seal the container, and so that way you have no outside influence coming in, right? So you've got clean, you clean container, water, rice. It's sealed up completely, and you have three different containers. One container. Every day you are going to project negative emotions, negative words, just a bunch of negativity and anger and frustration towards it. 
one of the containers, you're going to project a lot of happiness and positivity and love and try to the good vibes all going towards that container. And then the, the third container, you're just going to ignore. And his experiment, the kind of like the idea behind his whole, whole experiment is how our reactions actually affect our children. Because he wanted to prove that it's not just uh, kind of like the whole nature versus nurture. It's how our words actually impact. So I did this for, I got to think now so long ago, I think it was about six weeks. And it was hard for me to do this every day, but I made sure I made the commitment to do it. And I started to see the difference. And I'll tell you how the, the ending all worked out. The positive jar that I always spoke lovingly, compassion, optimistic towards, the water and the rice really didn't change. After, like I say, about six weeks, it still looked the same as when I put in there. The jar that I was always projecting really angry thoughts and words towards, all the rice seemed to like it exploded. It just became this white, gigantic, amorphous mass at the bottom of the container. But the one that got me was the water turned like a bright neon yellow. And then the, the jar that I ignored, it was kind of halfway in between. You know, there was some rice kernels, some of them had exploded, but the water was kind of a milky particulate that was always in that was in there. And I just kind of looked at that and went, okay, when I'm speaking negatively, when I'm projecting a lot of negative emotions, that yellow water that was in the container might be exactly what I'm doing to myself. So no wonder I feel achy. I have a, a stomach ache. I have a headache, you know, that I can't account for. So that's why I really started looking at really changing myself and watching my words and the power that we have in our words. Well, that is so interesting. I do have to say the skeptic in me wonders, uh, you know, whether this is anything real. The scientist in me says I should try the experiment. And, well, that's uh, why I had to do it, right? Because I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, well, that sounds all good, but can I recreate it? Did I do it perfectly? I will never say I did it perfectly because there's always variabilities that we know that can happen. But I took the, like I say, I have the pictures uh, and the video of it on my YouTube channel. Like I say, it's the only video there because I haven't done that many videos. And yes, you know, there's always going to be people that's going to discount it. But I did nothing to those containers except for speak and project things to it. I can't explain the change. Well, the, the you know? positive psychologist <laughs> in me suggests that maybe that's a real contributor to why people who tend to be more positive, just there is a, a documented relationship between health and achievement and stuff like that, between optimists and uh, pessimists, people who you know are more optimistic, more positive, just tend to, to thrive more in, in more ways. So this may be the basis for it. I will have to check it out myself. But well, and, well, another thing I want to add to that too is when I look back, like if you want to like physical, like physical evidence, because again, as, as scientists, we like physical evidence. I looked at pictures of myself when I'm in my 20s. And this, so that was during the time, my 20s and early 30s is when I was probably, you know, really that didn't feel like I had a whole lot of hope or uh, I wasn't very happy. I was quite angry and frustrated all the time and just kind of doing that, oh, I'm the hamster on the wheel, just the cog in the wheel of life kind of idea. And I look at myself now 
And people tell me that I am aging in reverse. I feel that, I, I mean, I look way younger now at almost 51 than I did when I was in my 20s. And I believe that a lot of my, my mindset, my way of thinking, you know, the, again, being very conscious and aware of the words that I use and the behaviors that I exhibit play in a part of that. You know, I'm not going to say that, you know, having good sleep, water and exercise isn't important because it is, it truly is. But I think we have to do some of these, this internal environment work as well to ensure that long vitality that I think we all we seek. Well, it certainly uh, is consistent with my idea of rejuvenating and growing older with enthusiasm because there is a payoff for that. And it's oh, definitely. But as you were speaking, it brought to mind a question that uh, I think is kind of important for many of us. What Do you have any particular advice then uh, if somebody is interested, as they should be, in raising an emotionally healthy child? What kinds of things can they do to uh, help them from both a uh, biochemical and psychological standpoint? Sure. I have a, a several ideas on that one. And one, like I say, I always like to encourage this for everybody, but I think starting it as children would be really great. And that is having a, a gratitude practice. I think if we can start teaching children at a younger age to kind of, to be able at the end of the day, kind of just sit, have a moment of silence in themselves and think through their day and go, what are you grateful for? What happened today that you're that you're really grateful happened or what experiences did you have that you're quite thankful for? And I think if they can start focusing on what that is and rather you're a writer and you want to write it down or you just want to you know have it as almost like a family discussion, which I think is almost better, is try, do that because I think when you when you have this foundation and I, I view gratitude as a like a foundation of which we build our personal houses on. And I think if we have that, that it gives us a the knowing that no matter what life throws at us, and it will, we know life, it's going to throw things at us at every moment that is that we didn't have planned. If we can learn to find gratitude, that gives us the resilience to be able to keep going no matter what. And that helps in building the optimistic attitude. It, it goes to building a more positive mindset because it is shown that gratitude actually rewires our brain. Basically, we're always, I think when we talk about like our, our primitive caveman type brain, always looking for the negative, right? We walk out the door, oh, what's the world going to throw at me today? Or what's that traffic going to be like? Well, whatever we focus on, you can kind of guarantee you're going to find it. So why not we why don't we choose to focus on the positive things, the things that bring us joy, the things that that light us up? Let's focus on that and let's bring more of that into our life. Because I really believe we sometimes forget how powerful and magnetic our minds can be. So if we can start children thinking of that, of you know, just and you know, they might just be, I'm grateful for my toys, I'm grateful for Billy next door, and I'm grateful I didn't pee my pants today. Awesome. That's a great things to be focusing on. But, you know, and those answers are going to become, you know, more sophisticated as they mature. But I think if we can start them on that path and then if they're going through something like, you know, if they're having a tantrum or if, or if they're having had a the, the kids got into a spat in the yard, being able to 
allow them to have a moment to process those feelings that they're having and realize that all feelings are valid. If they are feeling upset and frustrated, allow them to feel that in the moment. And then when they're ready to, you know, to calm down, ask them, what was that all about? What were you feeling? What, you know, and, and uh, kind of open up that door to allow them to try to understand what those emotions are all about. Because I think we, a lot of times we go through life feeling all these emotions, but never really spending a time of asking, okay, where did that come from? Why, why was I feeling that? Because I think there's an answer in there for all of us that we can learn from, but we have to ask those questions. So if we can open up that communication with our children and then teaching them how to become more resilient by creating this era or practice of gratitude, I think as a starting point, I mean, there's many more things we can do, but as a starting point, those would be two great things. It sounds like really excellent advice. And as we kind of draw close to running out of time, I want to make sure that we don't neglect the other end of the age spectrum. So I'm wondering, um, you know, I think uh, for many of my peers who I try to work on to deal with life enthusiastically and so on, some have been beaten down over time. Some have just kind of uh, taken a neutral running out the clock stance and so on. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, whether you've got uh, a bit of advice for them to, you know, to stay as emotionally healthy as they can or to get emotionally healthier as, as they move forward for what, as we've discussed, could be a few more decades. Most definitely. Well, and one of my answers will be the same of doing the gratitude practice. You know, I, th I think, I don't care what age you are, we could all benefit from focusing a little bit more there and ending off our day that way so that when we go to sleep at night, we end off with a, our minds focused on something positive. Another thing I would, I would mention is, and we, you know, of course we didn't have time to talk about, it. I want to suggest to everybody, watch the documentary called Happy. It really shifted a lot of ways that I think, but the one thing I loved about there is the researchers were talking about how when you look at happiness, and that's something that we, we all want, we all seek, 40% of our happiness is based on our intentional activity. So what is it that you can do each day to bring happiness in? So if you are feeling kind of that you're, I don't, you know, I'm just kind of biding my time until the end kind of thing, I don't, for me, I don't, that doesn't sound like a great way to end my life. That's not how I would want to end my years. I want my end of my years to be happier and be more vibrant. So what is it that you can do to change that? What lights you up? What brings you joy? Think about when you were a kid, how did you play? I think as adults, we forget that play is so important. And hey, when you're at a certain age, have your second childhood, go out and play, go to the beach, play in the sand, play, you know, play in the, the water, but find ways to bring a lightness or an, an air of play back into your life. And that could mean so many things to so many people playing an instrument, painting, you know, creating, but find a way to bring that little spark of joy, uh, that something that you used to enjoy 10, 20, 40 years ago, and pick it up again and, and just see how it feels. Wonderful, wonderful advice. And I'm uh, really glad you mentioned play when I developed the type P personality with the, the six P's. Among them all, between 
proactive and positive and persistent and passionate and probably missing one a personal goal oriented the sixth one is play and that's often the most difficult one to you know playfulness is concept that people too often have gotten away from so i'm really glad you mentioned it yeah it's uh, not just for kids <laughs> great we've packed so much information into this uh short amount of time and i'm sure we could go on for quite a while longer, but we can't. So as we draw to a close, I know that a lot of people had to have been impressed by what you have to say. So I'm wondering if we can kind of finish off with you letting us know what products and services you offer and how do people get in touch with you? Well, I have uh, a lot of courses that I want, I'm going to be coming out with because I, I realize that as, being an educator is kind of just who I am. I love to be able to share knowledge and pass it along. So I have a lot of those in the works. They're not ready yet. But if you want to be in the know for all of it, you can uh, connect with me on my website at reigniteyourpurpose.com. You can join the email list there, of which I do have a little gratitude practice that I send you when you join the, the email list. And that would be the place that to get any information what happens. I will promise you, I'm not a big email person. So it's not like I will be inundating you every day. I will not. But um, if you want to stay in the know or connect with me on Facebook and Instagram, because those are my, my two main platforms, again, under uh, Reignite Your Purpose uh, are my business pages. Or you can find my personal pages as well. And that's reignite your purpose. And that'll be in the show notes, all the contact information. And again, this has been so enlightening, so informative and so entertaining. And uh, I've learned a lot. I've got an experiment I've got to try now. Uh, I didn't <laughs> expect to get homework from this, but. Sorry, uh, teacher and me. <laughs> but it was just great, you know, having this conversation. I know our listeners can get a lot from it. So grateful that uh, we've been able to, to make this connection and get you on the show and uh, look forward to your courses when they come out. Best of luck going forward. Awesome. Thank you so much. So this has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser with our special guest, our special informative guest, Sheila Sutherland, and you will have her contact information in the show notes. Once again, our website is the Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information for all sorts of information about wellness and also a place where you can suggest future guests for the podcast. I know that many of you have gained a lot from this podcast. I hope that you will download it, uh, tell friends about it, review it, rate it, and so on. And uh, again, keep in mind our website, keep in mind the book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, and come back here next week and hear who we've got to present, who will be operating from a little different angle, but will be giving us the kind of information that will enable us to lead healthy and happy lives in an enthusiastic manner. So until then, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off, encouraging you all to stay safe and don't forget to play. <laughs>